Good morning. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my pleasure to bring you God's word on this uh, wonderful Father's Day. By the way, a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And of course, to our Heavenly Father, who loved us so much and sent his only son, demonstrating and giving us a love that we didn't deserve. Today's word comes from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. This is the reading of God's word. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. Well, you know, we live in a day with so many challenges to our faith. And it's not like today is any harder than the days before. Every period has its own challenges. And I want to be clear, though, as I talk about this call to me and my house, I'm not just talking to the dads. I want to talk to the moms, the sons and daughters, the the singles, everyone just who is in our church, that we're talking about our house, the family, and what we do together to pursue God and to follow Christ is truly important. But I am talking to the dads as well. And to the dads, I want to encourage you and remind you that we bear a responsibility and a joy to be able to be dads in our homes. And being dads means that we also have partners called our wives. And as we do this in partnership with our spouses, um, God willing if they're still with us, that we remember the importance of fatherhood. That the role of the father is so significant. Some say it's probably one of the most important pieces and maybe perhaps the missing piece in some families of what it means to have a healthy and happy home. I don't want to ignore or forget the fact that there are some homes where the father is no longer present. And to those single moms and super moms or grandparents who've raised us, we see you and we thank you for all that you've done. But as we take this time, um, I reflect on this moment in my life as um, I have a son who's 16 and He's going to be a senior in high school in the, in the coming fall. And we're uh, in the thick of just thinking about college applications. But I was also thinking as a dad, what kind of man do I want my son Joshua to become? And as I thought about that, I realized he's going to become the kind of man that he sees modeled in front of him every day. Which then says so much about how I need to live, not just before him, but before God. And so today, as we think about this title, Me and My House, what will that look like? The scripture from today comes from the book of Joshua. And Joshua is the successor to Moses. And after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness with the people of Israel, and partly because of the fact that they didn't trust God to lead them into the promised land, they took what should have been maybe a couple of weeks or maybe a month journey And it took 40 years. 
But Moses was not also allowed to enter into the promised land because he too didn't obey God. And so therefore, the one who was appointed to lead God's people into the promised land would be Joshua, his successor. Joshua was a warrior. He was an administrator. But in this last chapter of Joshua, as an old man, he becomes a preacher. He gives warning to the people of Israel about the dangers of idolatry and the continual propensity that the people of God had toward worshiping false gods. So if I could summarize just for a, a point for us to think about today, I would say that, this, that what I would like for you to consider is the importance of the servant leadership of the Father and the direction of every family to be faithful servants of our God. And so as we look at our passage, there are three parts to this passage, the command, the warning, and the decision. I want to first begin by looking at the command. The command here is given to us in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Basically, to fear the Lord and to serve him. It's a call to love God and worship him alone. Whenever God gives a command, it's usually an indicator of what, what God sees as sinful people that we are prone to do or not do, and then also what would affect our relationship with him. And so the command is to fear the Lord and serve him. That means there's a tendency that we may not fear him and fear other things, not show him the reverence that he deserves, and not serve him, not worship him, not follow after him or obey him, but to follow after other gods, other idols in our life. And so the word fear here, obviously, is not a fear of like being scared, but a fear of reverence. And it speaks of what we surrender ourselves to and what, what captivates our heart and our thoughts. You know, what keeps you up at night, what you think about, what you worry about, these are things that sometimes, apart from God, become our fears. It is the fear of our failures, fear of our health, fear of what tomorrow might hold. Maybe even the fear of losing your job or the fears of what might happen to your kids. And so it is this call not to fear those things, not to engage and to be consumed or to surrender your thoughts and your heart to that, but to surrender yourself to God, to fear God. The second part of this command is to serve. In the context of idolatry, it's likely that the word serve here is referring to worship. It's not just about worship. I think it includes a broader definition of how we walk with God and obey God. But it does include the aspect of worship. To worship the only true God and not the temptations of following after things that are not God. So if our fear is not reverence for God, but anxiety over all that we don't control, this fear will potentially lead to idolatry. The compromise of idolatry is usually given to those things that I think will maximize my peace as well as my happiness. And so it's not just ignoring God, but it's inviting other things to mean just as much or sometimes even more to me than God. So basically, idolatry is a misplaced trust in God that we've put into other things or to other people. 
which then eventually leads to serving or even coming to a point where we focus so much that we are probably even worshiping. And this natural expression is this misguided fear that I overcompensate and I overthink and I spend too much time thinking about these other things that serve as little g-gods. I know that no one starts the day thinking, you know what, I think I'll live in idolatry today. No, no one thinks that way, but when we start the day without a focus on God, the true and living God, our soul has a tendency to lose focus and go astray. There's a tendency that we all have, this propensity toward leaning on things that really isn't God, that really isn't going to provide me the satisfaction, the peace, and, and, the, and the comfort of understanding that there's a God in control. And so the command to fear the Lord and to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness reminds us that this fear and service is not just to be done rotely or in actions, but also to be done with heart and with consistency. It is to remember who God is daily. It is to give him the first fruits of our time. And what that means is as soon as the alarm wakes up and, we, and our eyes open, our attention is drawn to him. That from the beginning of the day that we can turn our hearts to him and find him as the source of our joy, our peace, and our genuine love. You know, when Joshua was leading the people of Israel into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, there are a lot of things that the people of Israel could have feared. It is the very reason why the spies that went out many years before came back with reports of fear and intimidation. Because the people in the other side were big, they were strong, they were fortified cities. And so the land of Canaan that Joshua was leading the people of Israel to was occupied, it wasn't empty. And so this land that they were going to go into, because it was already occupied, it would mean that the Israelites would have to face many battles. The land, because it was also filled with many idols, brought about a challenge of not just the battles of, uh, of war, but the battles of the soul. To keep themselves free from this foreign gods that they were, be, they, were, they were entering into and being tempted to also worship. And if you wonder why a people of God who've wandered in the desert for 40 years, watching him provide for them, feed them, even give them water from a rock, why would they be tempted to falter into idolatry? One thought could be, it's to cover all the bases. A lot of times, it's not because I want to ignore my God, but I don't know what God will or will not do. So therefore, I'm going to seek out other means to cover all the bases. And so the Israelites would enter into this land, and they would worship God, but they would also worship other gods. And this was because there was a fear that God may not do what I want, which means, again, God is not God, but I am. And so the greatest danger of idolatry is to devote ourselves to whatever might help us to reach our desires, whether good or bad. Even if God doesn't want it for us, I want it for me. And so there is a fear or reverence that sometimes leads us to stress and to sleepless nights and worries. But the fear and the service to the true and living God will bring us things that are very different. That trusting in God and fearing and, rev and revering him and his power and his authority means that we would actually have peace and we would actually be able to sleep at night. Today in our landscape, we're filled with so many idols in today's culture. 
And there's so many times when I've thought to myself, how do I help prepare my children for the world that they're about to go into? Whether it's at school, whether it's on media, whether it's in their music or in, on what's on TV. And so a lot of times this leads to stress, and, and sometimes we cope with stress very differently. I know some people sleep more. I know some people just try to tune it out through entertainment. I know some people go shopping, some people eat, and some people drink. Whatever ways that you try to find uh, ways to unwind and be stress-free, I want to suggest to you that perhaps one of the things that we need to consider in this command is to think about where we find peace. Where do we find our greatest comfort? And so for me and my house, it's not so much about the restrictions as it is about the priorities. It's about saying yes to God and saying no to anything else other than him. To keep it about Christ is perhaps one of the most difficult things to do today because there's so many options, so many things that could come and take possession of our heart, our attention, and our time. The implications of this command I want to share with you are a few. First of all, to all of us who are thinking about this as parents, to dads, to moms, I want to encourage you first to be sons and daughters. It's important for us that as parents, as fathers, and as moms, that we find God to be our greatest joy, that we love going to him, that this is what we practice, so that as we come to God and listen to him in his word, that it's important that our children see us coming and listening to God by reading his word. And that being in his word regularly reminds us that he is God and I'm not. That whatever stresses me out, that I can find comfort and peace in him. Secondly, it is to speak. That we begin with our prayer, our time of prayer. That we come before God with whatever anxieties or worries that come upon our hearts. And that as we come in prayer, that our children also are able to see us and hear us speak to God. It's also important that we're also practicing confession. That before our children, we don't just pray intercessory prayers, but we also pray prayers of confession. There are many times when I might have spoken to my wife in a manner that is uh, angry or uh, frustrated, impatient. And then if my son talks to my wife that way and I yell at him, then I could tell that his response, in his response, he senses and knows of hypocrisy. And it's important that I can be very honest about that and confess. For those of you who are parents of teenagers like I am and, and Jen, there are times when our teens, they secretly see the hypocrisy of our life at times. And, and it's important for us not to hide or to excuse it, but to really come clean and to come before God and say, you know what, you're right, what I did was wrong. And I'm going to come and just tell the Lord, and would you, would you join with me? I know that sounds weird, but we've done this a few times in our house, and it is something that I think is healthy, that as parents, we learn to speak. And thirdly, it is to act. The title of a mom or a dad is not just a title of authority, but it's one that we come and teach our family how to serve. It's a statement that Jesus stated for himself that we want to adopt into our life and our home. That he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
And so the command is to fear God and to serve him. The second part of this is the warning, to put away the gods of our fathers. In the verses that followed, it says, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers uh, served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. What is being spoken of here is the forefathers and the gods that they used to worship versus the true God, the God of Israel. To put away the gods of our forefathers means that we need to distinguish the true and living God versus false gods, the things that we depend on, the things that we look, look to to define who we are and to define life as we walk with God. That means practically to evaluate what our parents and our grandparents might have lived for, to test them to scripture, and to keep what is good and to discard what is not. The warning here is that we need to be mindful that we don't, we don't uh, make these decisions or these distinctions based upon preferences or taste or even popular opinion or even my opinion, but let God's word define some of the values and some of the very significant issues that we would say dictate and define our home and our family. The immigrant church struggled in perhaps uh, one of the significant ways of defining what worship is. And that's why one of the things that has often been a challenge for us in our generation is what is true worship? How does that look like? How can we express that in a genuine and sincere way? But I want us to understand that though our generation may not always like hymns, hymns is a beautiful expression. So it's not about music genre. It's not about the dynamics of what happens in a worship. But it's also so important that as dads and as families, that we understand that we do this together as a family. That whether it's parents, grandparents, children, that we worship the true and living God. It's not just about what we do with music or the dynamics or the, even the liturgy of a worship. It's also about the sermons. There are times when we don't understand it or things that, that are spoken about culturally that maybe we don't identify with. But I want you to understand that it's important for us to remember that a good message is not what entertains us or what makes us laugh or what makes us cry, but whether it's true to Scripture. And that's what I love about our church is that we are truly about preaching and sharing the Word of God that really is gospel-centric, Christ-centered. In the book of Joshua chapter 1, in verses 7 to 9, God speaks to Joshua and he gives him this instruction. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law, to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn uh, from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. The encouragement of the Lord to Joshua was very clear. Be strong and courageous. Don't move to the left or to the right, but stay focused and do as God's word says. To discern 
what are the gods of our day, there are some ideological battles that we face in America. You know, since the fall, when man ate of the fruit that God said do not eat, I took the place of God. It is this self and I that wants to continue to be the God of my life. That perhaps the greatest idol in our lives is not statues that we could bow before or worries in life and all these things, but really it's the quote-unquote I. In one of the struggles that we're facing in today's culture, as I've had several talks with my son and daughter about sexual identity, the, identity, uh, the gender identity issues, and, and all that we have to show as Christians in terms of compassion for people, as well as what is truth, who gets to define that truth? That it's such a challenge to speak to them about God's truth versus what people are saying in our culture today. Carl Truman, in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he writes about the phenomenon going on in today's culture regarding expressive individualism and the road to sexual revolution. He writes, the self was psychologized, and psychology was then sexualized, and finally sex was politicized. The stage was set for the contemporary politics of sexual identity. And I know that some of us, when we think about the issues going on in our day, the curriculum that's coming into our schools, the conversations and the things that are posted on TikTok or Instagram, uh, wherever you turn, that our response to our cultural dynamics shifting and the ideologies that are being presented, that it can be frustrating. But I love his response. He says, we do not choose our time. We must not waste energy lamenting our time. We need first and foremost to understand our time and then respond to it with informed wisdom. And I would say further, God's wisdom, conversations, and of course, prayer. Another struggle that we face is the road that we follow. Christ is not easy. It's not a road that is comfortable and convenient, but it's a narrow and costly road. And one of the challenges these days that we face prior to COVID, and now we will again once everything opens up again, is the fact that when, when it comes to worship, one of the things that I know that we struggle with as families is that Sunday worship is something that happens on a weekly basis that I know I can rely and come back to at any time. And every once in a while, there's something that is not happening weekly like a birthday event or a special event or a party to go to or a sporting event that may be over in a few weeks. And because of that, we often make decisions on the moment and we forget the importance of the decisions that we're making and what it's teaching ourselves and our children. And so because we make these decisions and choices to attend birthdays and games and outings and vacations and many other events, and sometimes miss Sunday worship, what, in, what we inadvertently are teaching at times our kids is what is necessary and what is not. Our incidental choices say much about our values and what's important to us. And why is worshiping God and as a family to do this on a weekly basis important? You know, I was thinking about this, and one of the saddest things as you finish the book of Joshua and go into the book of Judges is that in chapter 2, after Joshua dies, something, something unthinkable happens. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, this is what it says. And all that generation 
also were gathered to their fathers, meaning they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. What's so sad is, in just one generation, they forgot the Lord, and they worshiped idols. Just one. When I read that, that brought chills to my, uh, to my spine. How could they go from one generation where they saw God do so many amazing things and deliver them from battle after battle and from need after need? Well, one of the things is that the parents dabbled in idolatry. In, in, in verse 2, a part of this, before this, it says that they were to break down the altars of Baal, but they didn't. And they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And what that simply means is that it's important for us as parents to think about the things that can become more important than God. And even though we would never say that, by our actions sometimes we demonstrate that. Not only did the parents of, of Joshua's day dabble in idolatry, they didn't tell their children about all that God had done. That verse 10 is such a sad statement that there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. Whatever was causing them to be busy throughout their days, they didn't take the time to tell their children or the next generation about God. There's a saying in discipleship that discipleship is more caught than taught. That it's not about all the things that we can say but it's how we live each day. And so we're demonstrating for our kids. And it will take worshiping God to remind us that he is our priority. He is the one that we turn to. And if we take it casually, what will the second generation, the next generation do? I want us to be clear that I'm not trying to impose something that sounds like, oh, you have to do this. And if you don't do this, you're a bad person. No. There are many times when something happens or a very, very once in a while, maybe we won't be able to make it to a worship. But as, as we move out of the pandemic and as there are recorded worships or live stream worships, will worship still be a priority even after the event? Will we sit down with our families and will we remind our children that even though we weren't able to attend worship today, we will still worship today? And so I feel like it's important for us as parents to remember and not forget that this is not about an obedience without love, but it is a love that truly expresses our hearts in obedience. Intentional conversations, intentional action, what we do with our family, our values, our time, and our resources are so important. Idolatry is tempting because it feeds into our sinful cravings. And it's important for us to be careful and mindful of them. James Montgomery Boyce writes this. He says, those who know their hearts uh, know that the sins of the past cling closely to us and are a danger at every turn. So it is always necessary to reject the false and choose and continue always to choose to worship and serve the true God. 
He goes on to write in his commentary in this particular passage. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. This particular phrase, this tense here implies more than once and for all choosing. It's not just choosing it once and then forgetting. But he says, as you choose once, it's not just choose once and be done. But it is a call to continuous choosing. It involves the past, the present, and the future. It is as if Joshua said, I have chosen to serve the Lord. I am choosing that same path of service now, and I will, con- I will go on choosing to serve God until the very end. And so to put away the false gods then is to focus daily on the true and living God. It is this intentional time, that loving time that we spend with God each day. It is to recognize the most, uh, what we are most prone to in our weakness toward idolatry. You know, when we wake up, you know, in the morning when I start reading the scripture, I'm so tempted to turn on ESPN to see what they're talking about the previous NBA playoff games or to, change, or, or to look at my text or my email. And I know that those temptations that we've developed through habit on our phones become the very first thing sometimes we turn to. But what are we prone to? And that's something we need to pay attention to. And to give people and things a proper boundary. Don't let the important things become ultimate things. Don't let the very good things that we say are important, like our kids, our spouse, and all the things that are, that are busy in our schedules become the ultimate things. That if, they, if we don't get to do them or we miss them, that we get angry. And there are times when I've seen myself that I'm trying to lead my family on a vacation, but people are unhappy and I get angry. Why are you unhappy with what I'm trying to provide for you? Because I've turned something that's a good thing into an ultimate thing their happiness, their approval. And so the danger is the warning to be careful of those things. The third part is the decision. Me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This passage reminds us that it is, it is this very leadership that's necessary. It begins with me and my household to make a decision. And when we think about a, a wonderful leader, a good leader, we think about someone who's... Uh, who has decisiveness, who is confident, who's making the right decisions, who has character and integrity, who is trustworthy, but I want to add also who is serving. We want to remember that serving by leading is important and that also leading means serving. That the father is called along with his spouse if if available and, and present, that we are able to serve that we lead by serving. This is one of the things that we try to do in the Han home. And uh, I told my kids and my wife, you know, one of the things that we do in our house as Christians is we want to learn to be a servant to one another as we serve our God. And, I, and, I, and as we practice this, I want to tell you there are times when my daughter would look at me and say, hey, Dad, can you get that for me? Can you serve me? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> but you know what? That's what we want to see happen. We want to become servants of God by learning how to worship him and then learn how to serve others. What can this look like? I want to suggest to you three things. First of all, in, our, in me and my house, if, if, if we can paint a picture, it means, first of all, that we bring God's word daily into our home. That means parents and parents first couples as, as we do this together and we bring the word of God to our children, whether we read it to them because they're too young or we have them read also a plan, a daily plan where they are in the word of God. It's important for us to bring that rhythm of looking to God's word in our home. 
The second one is to pray. It is to come before God in the practice and obedience of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing or pray continuously. And what that means is that it doesn't mean 24-7. It means throughout the day, throughout seasons, throughout different situations of life that we will pause and pray and acknowledge the one who is in authority. Learning to speak to God daily. This is the life to learn how to live his life as Jesus also constantly spent time in prayer. And third, it is this C, this character of becoming a loving person, to become a servant and to learn how to be patient and to be kind and to do things that demonstrate this love that has been so lavishly given upon us that we can now share it with one another and with others. This practice of serving one another in the home as we serve God in worship becomes a reflection and it flows from our hearts of love for God and it then demonstrates itself in our relationship with people. If you're a couple, with or without kids, I would like to invite you, if you're available, that I would, I'm going to offer a seminar on July 11th called Discipleship at Home. It'll be at the Fullerton campus and announcements will be coming. But I want to invite you and let you know of this because it's so important that we don't just talk about this, that we learn how to practice this in our homes. That me and my house is not just about the, the, the education or the finances or all the things that we dream about, but it's about serving God. It's about fearing him and serving him. I'm thankful that as I think about this book of Joshua and this particular person, he did what he could during his day. He fought he spoke, he warned, he challenged the people of Israel, and then he died. But there's coming, there came another Joshua who would fight a greater battle, a battle for us. One who spoke not just on behalf of God, but as God. One who warned us against sin and then took our sin upon himself. One who taught us and called us to follow him. It's interesting that the name Joshua in Hebrew is the Greek name Yeshua. And Yesu, as we think about this, Yesu in, in Greek, and then we understand this name in English as Jesus. And I want to say to you that one of the most beautiful things that I love about my Jesus, our Jesus, is that he is the one who became that servant, who calls us then to follow after him and then to have this amazing relationship of our, with our Heavenly Father. To all the dads out there, I know that we fall short, and we will fall short many times, just as I have and you will. But I want to encourage you that we do have one who understands our weakness and who gives us grace in each and every day. We want to thank our Heavenly Father for loving us in a way that I don't think any of us would ever be able to do, to give our only beloved child, a beloved son on behalf of a sinful world. And so when we fall short, I hope that we can look to our Heavenly Father and thank him for the grace that is offered to us and the guidance that is given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think of me and my house, us and our household. May we remember what it means to fear the Lord 
to serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, in love and consistency, to do this in our homes so that we will not have a generation forget him, but that we will have a generation that will love him even more than we loved him. I hope and pray that that's what we will, ha- we will have and see happen with the next generation of children here at Christ Central and in other churches. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word today. Thank you so much that we can look to you and remember that on this Father's Day, there was a Heavenly Father who loved us and sent his only Son. And Heavenly Father, as, as a father myself, I, I still can't wrap my head around your love. It is amazing, it is penetrating, it is powerful, and it's deeply humbling. And I just pray for all the dads out there, whenever we fall short, and we know that we're not that kind of father that we want to be yet, I pray that you would remind us of your grace that calls us just one day at a time to walk with you, one step at a time. And thank you that you meet us in every weakness and every fault and know that we can find your grace to help us to grow and to be different each day. I pray that what we practice in our homes will be pleasing in your sight and that you be loved and honored and cherished by our children and the generations to come. In Christ's name I pray, amen.